Dear Father in heaven, we just recited this beautiful confession where we confessed you to be the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of all things visible and invisible. Truly, Father, all praise and glory belong to you. May your glorious name be hallowed also this evening. We thank you for bringing us together on this Sunday evening to once again hear your word proclaimed. Father, we pray that you will equip Pastor Mark with your Holy Spirit to speak your words to us. We pray that you will open our hearts and minds to hear your word, to take in what you have to say to us, and then also live accordingly. Father, bless all of us gathered here in person or virtually, and also bless those who could not be here. Please accept our praise. Hear us in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So, in our little bulletin, it says the confessional reading is Lord's Day 35. That's not going to happen because we're actually going to be reading from the Belgic Confession, but Pastor Mark will do that after. I'd like to read with you from Scripture. We're going to read Luke 22, the verses 7 to 30. Luke 22 then. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go, it, will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, 
and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I'm among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to invite Pastor Mark to come up. Remember to notice the telephone number on the screen, so... After his sermon, we'll have opportunity to, for a Q&A. Well, good evening. Good to be with you here, uh, Blessings Church. And um, yeah, first of all, a uh, word of apology. You know, it's just sometimes as a pastor, you just, you know, been doing this for 22 years or so, and just writing out the information to your secretary, Lord's Day 35. That's what we used to do, right? So, well, I'm going to read just a few of the paragraphs. It's actually a really long par- um, uh, article in the Belgian Confession. So at Fellowship Church uh, at Burlington, we've been going through the Belgian Confession. We just actually ended it. We used it during our, our teaching time, which is our second service in the morning. Around uh, We have our first service, 9.30, 10.30. We take a break, coffee in that, and then we come back, and we have a, a teaching service, much like, much like the Vespers here this evening. We have 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, I think we, we stole it from you guys, obviously, so thank you for that. Um, but I want to take some time to, to meditate in, uh, in kind of a teaching fashion um, on, on uh, Belgian Confession 35 and just meditating on what communion is all about and what its significance is for us. Um, for us today. Uh, you know, just, just having heard read verse uh, 27 again, it's just, uh, the context is just absolutely uh, amazing, right? Just absolutely um, unbelievable that Jesus comes and says, the greater is the one who reclines at the table, not the one who serves. Is it not the one, it's the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. <laughs> so he identifies himself as the one who is less important, and that's how he treated his ministry. And um, in particular, when he leaves his disciples, as he's about to leave them, he gives them the supper. He gives them this, as we call it, this means of grace. Um, and just a tremendous part of his humility and his, and his love for us up to the present day. So I want to look, first of all, at the meaning of communion, then at the purpose of communion, and, the, and then the value of communion. We're going to move through this um, uh, pretty quickly, Lord willing. Uh, so First of all, the, um, the meaning of communion, just a, a couple of thoughts on that in terms of, I think we have a slide on that, um, in terms of a, a couple different views of, uh, you know, just in summary fashion. Yeah, so for example, there are traditions that take their lead from theologians like, um, like Zwingli back in the time of the Reformation, 1600s, um, that treat the Lord's Supper just like, just like a memorial feast. So it's just a, it's an act of confession. It's an act of, of, of remembering and celebrating uh, that Jesus Christ came and, and he gave his blood and he gave his body. It's a memorial feast. Jesus said, uh, do this in remembrance of me. And they really focus on that remembrance side. It doesn't, though, do justice to to Jesus taking the bread and saying, this is my body. Something significant, Jesus said, 
this is my body. Like you're actually eating my body in some sense, and this is my blood. There are other traditions, you might think, especially the Roman Catholic Church, that look at the ceremony of the Mass as, as a partaking actually of the physical body and, and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In some way, in a sacramental way, it, it becomes the body and blood of Jesus and is, and is offered as a sacrifice in, um, in the Mass. So we're going to say here this, this evening that we believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the celebration of the sacrament, the spiritual real presence, as we call it, um, when we come in believing, in believing faith. I'm going to read the uh, third paragraph of Belgic Confession, Article 35, to just give us a, a sense of this. So it reads like this, To represent to us the spiritual and heavenly bread, Christ has instituted earthly and visible bread as a sacrament of his body and wine, as a sacrament of his blood. He testifies to us that as certainly as we take and hold the sacrament in our hands and eat and drink it with our mouths, by which our physical life is then sustained, so certainly do we receive by faith as the hand and mouth of our soul the true body and true blood of Christ, our only Savior, in our souls for our uh, spiritual life. Now that's, I think that, you know, to admit it's, it's kind of uh, mysterious language. It's kind of strange uh, to our ears today, the idea of like spiritually eating and drinking something that brings benefit to us. Like as much as we physically benefit from uh, having a hamburger and fries, well, add a salad to that. Uh, so we're spiritually benefiting. We're being nourished in some way by coming to the table and, and eating some small pieces of bread and, and, and drinking small glasses of wine or grape juice, and, and we are being nourished spiritually. Some of that, some of that language is helped by looking at, at John chapter 6, where, where Jesus says, you, you must eat of my body and drink of of my blood. And that was in the context of the feeding of the 5,000, where many were impressed by his ability to make bread and multiply bread, but didn't really get that what he was, what he was purposing to do was actually feed their souls, what he had come um, to accomplish. At one point in that passage, he says, I am the bread of life. You have to eat my body. And it's this, it's this heavy language trying to capture what happens when we trust Christ by faith, we don't just receive things about Christ. We receive Christ. He actually gives us himself. He comes and he lives in us by his Holy Spirit. And that's part of what we celebrate and part of what we experience in, in the Lord's Supper. So I understand it is, it's heavy language, and it's, it's somewhat mysterious language. We call it sacramental language, if I could say that uh, here this this, uh, this evening, but what we're trying to capture is that we are spiritually enjoying and experience Jesus Christ himself, in particular in what he accomplished on the cross, the forgiveness of our sins, a relationship with Jesus Christ, being made right with God. And when we trust in Christ by faith and we come to the table believing, we don't come perfect, we come repenting of our sin, we come knowing that we need Jesus Christ, he promises to fill our lives with himself to enable us to experience what it means to actually be forgiven and to feel forgiven, to be relieved of, of guilt and shame. 
And we believe that in the supper we come and we actually experience that. We don't just, we don't just hear about it and kind of see it performed in front of us. If you, if you come believing, you will actually um, experience that by, by faith. Christ gives himself to us. He fills us with himself and promises to give us further spiritual understanding and joy and peace and hope in, in, a, in a particular way in the celebration of, of the supper. So communion is not just, it is a symbol of that, it's a sign of that, it's a, it's a, it's a memorial, we do it in remembrance of him, but it's more than that, it's an actual experience. And as, as strange as I think that is sometimes to, to even other believers today, uh, there, there is a, there is a beauty in terms of the experience of the, of the drama of the, of the sacrament that is, is very, very special and very, very important in a believer's life. First Corinthians ten, Paul talks about this being a participation in the body of Christ or the blood of Christ or a fellowship with. That's that's like that's stronger language than just remembering what Jesus did. It's it's participating um, in in uh, his actual body. And blood. Now, I just want to say that that like that experience is an important part of the Christian life. I'd say it's an important part of just being human. That we don't just we don't just grow by a mental comprehension of things. Like we don't just we don't just grow by receiving certain facts. Uh, but we also grow by an experience of what Jesus Christ has done. We grow in a, a deeper level in our hearts and souls. And Jesus in this in this communion, is appealing to that deeper part of, of who we are. And it's not that we don't, we don't hear a sermon and then it, 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 like it, it raises us up, right? Like it moves us. Like we, we hear new things, we experience new things in our minds, but it also like moves our hearts, right? Like the, the best sermons you've heard or the, just the best moments in church are when we're, we're moved to believe um, in a deeper way or we're we're moved to really just kind of experience in, that, in those moments the, the presence of the Spirit and the joy of the Christian life. And we're also like moved to go out and actually trust Christ and obey Christ. And the sacraments are meant to help us do that. Uh, we learn by experience. We learn by our senses being engaged, our uh, touch and smell and, and hearing and, and um, grasping something. That's why, we, that's why we read poetry. That's why we uh, take photographs and look at them later. That's why we uh, sometimes will head on a vacation or, and, and we'll gaze out of the ocean or out of Lake Ontario for, for a time. And we, we find ourselves moved in a way that is extraordinary. That's why we love beautiful music and art. We might be moved by a particular scene in a play or a film or by a particular stanza in a hymn or, or in a song we're listening to because it raises, it raises us up from uh, just a normal experience to something higher. We're being taught and we're experiencing something deeper about God or about beauty or about ourselves or about relationships. That's why we, we go out at nights and we don't just look up at the stars and have an idea of, the, of astronomy and, and the position of the stars, but we gasp at the stars, right? Like we find our hearts moved by the greatness, the majesty, the glory of, of the night sky. Once you get out of the city a little bit um, in particular. So Christ in 
in pairing the Word of God and the Word being explained and preached by pairing it with this drama of redemption every time we celebrate uh, the Supper, um, he's, let's say he's, he's moving our souls in a deeper way. He's, he's amazing our hearts. He's, um, he's raising our spirits to, to a higher level. He's nourishing, he's nourishing our souls with, with himself. And that's, that's all behind uh, when he says, this is my body, this is my blood. You have to partake, eat, drink, believe, remember. It moves us. It's, um, it's soul stirring. I think some of that's represented in the, in the fourth paragraph, which I think is helpful from the Belgic. It's beyond any doubt that Jesus Christ did not commend his sacrament to us in vain. Therefore, he works in us all that he represents to us by these holy signs. We do not understand the manner in which he, this is done, just as we do not comprehend the hidden activity of the Spirit of God. Yet we do not go wrong when we say that what we eat and drink is the true natural body and the true blood of Christ. However, the manner in which we eat it is not by mouth, but in the Spirit by faith. In that way, Jesus Christ always remains seated at the right hand of God, his Father in heaven, yet he does not cease to communicate himself to us by faith. This banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ makes us partakers of himself with all his benefits and gives us the grace to enjoy both himself and the merit of his suffering and death. He nourishes, strengthens, and comforts our poor, desolate souls by the eating of his flesh and refreshes and renews them by the drinking of his, of his blood. So that's a, a brief summary of, of the meaning of communion. Let's look at, uh, on top of that, some of the, uh, the main purposes of, of communion. And um, first of all, to aid us in remembering uh, his suffering and death on, on our behalf. So to aid us in remembering the very heart and soul of, of our confidence uh, that we are bought and paid for by the blood of, of Jesus Christ. And you think about the context in, in Luke 22, we read the, the disciples um, around the tables celebrating Passover, the last Passover with Jesus. And um, Jesus is about to give his life away. And in a sense, all of history has been moving towards this moment. <laughs> Right? All of those promises from the Old Testament for the entirety of human history. I mean, God creating the world, us spoiling the world, and then God with this plan of redemption. It's been waiting for this moment. And the disciples are a mess. Right? They're, they're arguing in our passage about which one of them is the greatest. Jesus is making himself lower. They're arguing about who is the greatest. Judas is around the table at Passover before he leaves, and he's, he's planning on betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Peter is, is going to deny Jesus three times. All of them are going to scatter when he needs them the most. They are a complete mess around the first communion table. It's, it, it's, a, it's a pretty ragtag group of people that are Jesus' disciples. He's been teaching them, hanging out with them, fellowship with them with, for three years, and, and, and really they've got it all wrong. <laughs> and even as he's about to suffer in, in excruciating ways, in bearing our sin on the cross, he's thinking about them. He's thinking about them after his death and what is going to help them and what is going to serve the church. 
So he thinks about the weak, he thinks about the struggling, he thinks about the sinful failures um, like, like you and me. And that's why the, the, the early church, after his death and resurrection, actually celebrated communion weekly. I'm not sure what you do here at, at, um, at Blessings, but everything we read from, from the book of Acts and into, into 1 Corinthians, it's like every time they gathered on the first day of the week, they broke bread together. So they were so, it was so palpable to them that this gift of Christ, they never forgot that on the night on which he was betrayed, this is the, one of the greatest gifts he gave to them so that they might remember it. And on that night, they, they got it all wrong, but afterwards they, they never forgot. And part of the way in which they didn't forget was they celebrated the communion every single, every single uh, week, celebrating his atoning sacrifice. Um, secondly, uh, to bring us actually into communion with, with Christ himself. Because this is, this is a table of fellowship when we come to the communion table. And back then, to be invited into table fellowship was an offering of friendship. It was, it was a laying down of all, of all enmity and, and conflict. It was a, it was a, a welcoming in to a, a, a very deep relationship of favor and love and commitment and, and kindness. And that's what, that's what Jesus celebrates here. And uh, his opponents hated him for doing that. He would go and he would have meals with the worst kind of sinners. He'd hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors and kind of the, the outcasts of society. And those are the people that he would, he'd go to Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, who's up in the tree uh, waiting for Jesus to come by, he said, Zacchaeus, I, want to, I need to go into your house and have dinner with you. He invites himself into table fellowship with a known sinner. And, um, and that's what he's doing here as he's about to give his life for these, uh, for these disciples. And uh, they actually accused Jesus of being a drunkard and a glutton because he, he, was, he was celebrating with sinners. He was, he was giving them the life-giving good news of his, of his death and resurrection with people that his enemies thought weren't really worthy, you know, to receive that kind of, that kind of attention. And... And now here around this table with his disciples, he says in verse 15, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. Humanly speaking, just a very short time before this, he is pouring out his heart to his father in the garden. If it's possible, take this cup from me. I mean, the, the experience he was already feeling of, of our sins, the burden of the sin of the world, pressing down into him. Um, was already an excruciating experience. And, and anticipating that his father was going to forsake him as he offers himself in the place of, of sinners. But all he can think about around this table is, is his relationship with these disciples that he loves. And I, want, I desire to eat this, this meal with you, this, this meal of friendship, this meal of communion, this meal of commitment. It's him giving himself to these disciples in a way that they would never forget uh, just how much he loved them. And when you come to the Lord's Supper, I hope you experience that. Um, not, just, not just the message that God loves those who come to him in repentance and trust, but that you would, you would experience every time you come the realization um, that will pierce through your, your darkest day <laughs> And the, the deepest shame that you might feel over some past sin. 
and, and, and the most difficult trial that you're going through that, that, that Jesus Christ loves you. And, and as surely as you eat bread and drink wine and you eat every single day, you should know that. And every time you partake of the communion, you should know that and believe that. Because it comes from, it comes from the, the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Thomas Boston was, was famous for saying, if men knew my heart, I wouldn't have four friends left in Scotland. <laughs> Isn't that something? If, if men knew my heart, I wouldn't have four friends left in Scotland. But Jesus said, it is my most earnest desire right now. This is the thing I want to do more than anything to eat this meal with you, with these disciples. So we should know that he wants to eat the supper with us more than we will ever want to eat the supper with him, which is astounding, which should thrill our hearts and bring us back to the table over and over again. So thirdly, to strengthen our faith, uh, the communion is, is uh, communion supper is supposed to set things right in our life. It's supposed to get us back to focusing on, on uh, where our hope is actually found and, and also what, what, our, what our purpose is in life to live for the glory of, of this Savior. It, um, it strengthens us in the Word of God and the message of, of, uh, of the gospel. It's, it's paired with the preaching of the Word and our personal study of the Word. It comes alongside of that and shows us that, you know, this, this Christ is real. You can trust Him. You can believe what He has to say. And we trust that in the supper, the, the Spirit comes and builds us up and strengthens us and emboldens us in uh, love for God and, and love for, for a neighbor. I wanted to share the new city catechism because what we have in the, in, in the, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism and also in the Belgic is, is a lot of information because it was a, a matter of a particular like uh, conflict and, and disagreement back at the time in which it was written. And it is still somewhat, somewhat today, but I wouldn't say in, in quite, the same, quite the same fashion necessarily. And sometimes it's helpful to have a, a bit of a, briefer, but still true, um, idea of what the Lord's Supper is. So let me read from the New City Catechism. It asks the question, what is the Lord's Supper? Christ commanded all Christians to eat bread and to drink from the cup in thankful remembrance of him and his death. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of the presence of God in our midst, bringing us into communion with God and with one another, feeding and nourishing our souls. It also anticipates the day when we will eat and drink with Christ in his Father's kingdom. And I just commend uh, that, that catechism to you as, a, as, a, as another help in terms of just giving voice to a su- biblical summary of, of, uh, of the uh, important truths of Scripture. I want to finish with, with a number of points on the value of communion. I'm actually not going to ex- ex- like, uh, say anything more than just list these here because there's a number of other values biblically to communion which I just want to leave with you to think about and to enjoy. Uh, communion deepens our communion with one another. Our fellowship, our, you know, the New Testament word koinonia, and we participate together. I said I wasn't going to say anything, but, you know, it's, it's difficult to pray for one another. It's difficult to then come and participate in, in the, the central hope of our lives together, and this will remain in conflict with one another. It really, it really is. 
Um, it increases our joy in the extravagant love of our Savior who welcomes us into table fellowship. It helps us to feel the true weight of our debt and the true value of grace. Unites us with the universal practice of the Christian church. It seals the promises of God proclaimed in his word. It confronts us with the mystery and wonder of redemption. It spreads a table before us in the presence of our enemies, Psalm 23. It builds true hope. I love this definition of hope, a joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past, which changes everything about my present. That's um, Rico Tice's definition from his course called Hope Explored. Um, and then finally, anticipation of the best is yet to come. One day we will no longer celebrate the supper because we will be in the presence of Jesus um, himself. I'll end with a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. All joy emphasizes our pilgrim status. Always reminds our desires. Our best heavings are wantings. All joy emphasizes our pilgrim status. Always reminds, beckons, awakens desire. Our best heavings are wantings. And in his, in his mercy, he's added, you know, the message of the gospel to also the drama of redemption in, in, uh, in the Lord's Supper. And what a great gift that is for us. So I'm going to invite us to sing together. Um, well, I just want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray first and then we'll, we'll sing when I survey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, brief reminder here this afternoon of, or this evening of, of what the communion table is, is all about. There's a simplicity to it. There's also a, a depth to it. And I pray that all of us, no matter what our age is, whatever our experience with you, whatever part of, of uh, the journey in, in, uh, in following the Lord Jesus Christ might be, that we might grasp something more in the gift of the Lord's Supper, in the gift of this, this wonderful, nourishing meal, just how, how great our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ truly is, just how gracious his heart is. He comes and he, and he says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And in particular, on, on the uh, occasion of his death, of giving himself, offering himself, he shows just how gentle and lowly his heart is, how giving, how gracious, how unbelievably full of love his, his heart was, even as he approached um, his a cruel death on the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving yourself on our behalf, for not withholding your very life, um, even though you knew what it would cost you. And... And uh, we're going we're gonna to spend our whole lives just trying to understand, seeking to understand exactly what it costs you so we can see the, the, the depth of our sin but the, the, the greater significance of, of, your, of your grace towards us. And uh, Lord, just feed us with this meal every time we partake. Uh, nourish our, nourish our, our weary, lonely, struggling, uh, weak hearts and lives. Raise our spirits up above just the ordinary stuff of this life, and uh, help the good news of Jesus Christ to, to pierce through the darkness of this life. Um, yeah, stir, stir our souls. Awaken our senses to the wonder of Jesus Christ. Help us to, uh, to change us, to change our, our, uh, our pursuits, 
our uh, priorities, and uh, Lord, in particular, just our confidence in, in who you are, what you have done for us, that you would actually desire, earnestly desire, table fellowship with the likes of us, and that's what's going to get us through this week in a way that will, that will glorify you and in a way in which we will in, enjoy you and enjoy the good news of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I like